Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. This is a book that we studied together two weeks ago, and we're going we're gonna to review a little bit of what we studied two weeks ago. But we're, this uh, Sunday, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to, uh, to begin reading at verse 12. You might also want to reach inside your bulletin and pull out your crosswalk notes and have them handy as we go through the message today. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and uh, he is talking to his beloved and truly beloved brothers and sisters in Christ in Corinth, and uh, he's been criticized by some of them. In fact, there's a group of Corinthian leaders that are referred to several times in this book as super apostles, people who came in to lead the congregation after Paul had left and who were trying to woo people away from, from following the message that Paul had brought. And so he, he feels he has to, to defend his ministry. And you're going to hear a little bit about that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So beginning at verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. He's talking about those super apostles now. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did not get as far as you with the gospel. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So if I were to ask you um, this morning to take out the pen that's on your uh, chair and write down the name of your toughest critic, who would you write down? I was going to bring a shredder with me this morning and set it up here. So once people wrote that down, they could bring their, uh, their bulletins up and shred them afterwards, just in case they didn't want to have anybody see whose, whose name they wrote down. Is your toughest critic someone in the cubicle next to you at work? Is your toughest critic um, your spouse or your teenage son or daughter is your toughest critic your parent many of us grew up and we still have memories of parents who sometimes were pretty good at leveling us and getting us to downsize things and we still remember how it feels to be critiqued by our parents is there a fellow believer, a brother and sister or sister in Christ here at Crosswalk and maybe on your ministry team. They, uh, they're, they're, they love to, to critique the work that, that you do. It's not easy to deal with criticism, is it? 
think about that person and you start to think a little bit about maybe the normal natural feelings you have toward the people that criticize you, pretty soon you realize that you can get pretty boxed in by those feelings. I think really there's, pretty, there's two pretty normal very usual reactions to uh, to criticism. Some of us kind of do this. We uh, we curl up in a ball. I don't know if I can do this and stay balanced. I'm not going to curl up perfectly in a ball. I can tell you that. I should have practiced that. But we curl up in a ball and we rock back and forth and we we really get emotionally boxed in by criticism. We 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 begin to feel like wow, I, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to say anything because, oh, I, I just don't want to be criticized. That's one reaction, right? And another very common reaction, take a look at that box over there that says criticism in it. Imagine you're, yourself inside that box, right? And it looks like somebody's already tried this reaction right here because I can see it's kind of coming apart. But some people are like this, you know, they're lashing out and they're coming out of that box and no one is going to hold them back. And they're furious. Maybe you're one of those when you get criticized, it just makes you absolutely furious and you're going to destroy the box of criticism. So that's why this morning, I think we want to talk about how do we react to criticism in a God-pleasing way? And there's no better person to, uh, to teach us that than the Apostle Paul. How do we get better from criticism instead of becoming bitter by it? There's a great quote. A man named William Arthur Ward wrote this quote. <clears throat> he's a well-known author. Actually, he's the, probably the most quoted wisdom author from America. More than a hundred articles, poems, and meditations were written by William Arthur Ward. I shouldn't have done all that punching. I'm feeling like I'm breathing really hard. Okay. He says this, in the face of unjust criticism, we can become bitter or better, upset or understanding, hostile, or humble, furious, or forgiving. How do we do do the latter half of each one of those? How do we become better? How do we gain understanding instead of becoming upset? How do we get humility instead of hostility? How do we get to forgiveness instead of being furious? Well, I think part of it is just, and this is the first thing that we want to address, and we see this so clearly in the Apostle Paul. Part of it is believing what Ken Blanchard, the great Christian business business author, once said, that feedback is the breakfast of champions. You ever heard that? You see, Paul, the Apostle, was not unwilling to hear criticism. Because he believed that criticism could be helpful to him. In fact, even before he writes this book, even before he begins his ministry, people begin to question what he's doing. And he literally picks himself up and goes all the way from where he is in the, in the northern north of Palestine and walks down to Jerusalem with several of his friends. In Acts chapter 15, 
you can read the account of a council that took place in Jerusalem, a council in which Paul came and he talked with the leaders of the church at that day, and he said, hey, this is my ministry, this is what I'm doing, but I invite your feedback on it. I invite your criticism. Come and talk to me. Tell me what you think about this message that Christ has given me. And he was willing to have himself checked on. What gave him that willingness? Well, this is the first thing that I want you to write down in your crosswalk notes. I truly believe that what gave Paul his willingness to take on criticism as a teaching tool was his belief that Jesus Christ is alive. The Apostle Paul followed a living Christ, not a dead Christ. Take a look at that passage I put down there for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. It says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Notice what he says there right at the end. We always... Carry around the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. If when you're being criticized, you truly believed that you were following a living Jesus Christ. A living judge, the one judge who really has the right to judge your thoughts, your heart, your words, your actions, that he's not a dead Christ, but a living Christ. And that when other people come to criticize you, the fact that you really only have one person to please, the living Christ, then that gives you the power to do what the Apostle Paul did. And you know what he used to do with criticism so that it became truly a teaching tool, a learning tool for him? For him? He would filter it. And the filter was very simple. What's truly pleasing to this living Jesus? How did did Jesus live? And how does he even help me now? He's the one living judge that I, I will one day have to face. And then he also knew that because Jesus is alive, Jesus is his living protector. I think that's an awesome thought when we're, when we're being criticized by, by a spouse or, or by our parents or by someone in the cubicle, two down. It's just to realize that we're following a very powerful living Christ who is the one lone judge that we have to faith, face and the one the one protector who is always, always there for us. Notice how he says... We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed at times about what's the right thing to do. We hear criticism over here, and we hear criticism over there. We're not always sure what the right course of action is, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're, we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Why? Because we're carrying Christ, who is alive, around with us everywhere we go. Goes all the way back to the book of Proverbs, the wisdom 
that feedback can be the breakfast of champions and a real learning tool from us. Look at the passage I, I put in there from Proverbs 9, 8, and 9. And you have to believe that Paul raised in Old Testament word had to know this. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. You take a moment and just uh, underline that last phrase. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. Isn't that important for all of us to know? Our living Savior teaches us that our critics can be our teachers. And our harshest critics sometimes can be our best teachers. So what gets in the way of us learning from criticism? It's pretty simple, isn't it? You see, in real life, we, we, don't, we don't always feel comfortable when people come to criticize us because it can become a matter of personal pride, can it? We want people to view us in a positive light. We want people to think highly of us. We want people to think well of the organizations we work for, the families that we live in. How many of you, for instance, had moms or dads who, when you went out on a date or went out with your buddy, said, don't forget the family name, right? Why? Because we want ourselves and those around us to have a great reputation and 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 we can make it our personal mission in life to constantly be be super hyper protective of that reputation take a look at what it says in proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 pride only breeds quarrels but wisdom is found in those who take advice when we feel pride sneaking up on us it's so important to understand where that's going to lead it breeds quarrels the author of the Proverbs says, but wisdom is found in those who are able to take advice. So the second thing for us to remember this morning as we're studying the Apostle Paul is that our living Savior teaches that pride only gets in the way of learning. Look, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at how Paul kind of lives that out. Notice what he says in verse 12. We don't dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. This is Paul saying, look, trying to make myself look better by comparing myself to someone else, that's not wise. Trying to shore up my self-image by, by making myself the measure of a successful life. Paul says that's not wise. True wisdom comes back to looking at the living Christ and comparing myself against his measure, against what he tells us. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And when you do that, when you measure yourself against the measure of a living Christ, then that's going to kill off pride. How important that is. You see, we can fall into a trap. And that trap is to think that it's up to us to maintain our reputation. God makes it so clear 
that he is the tender of our reputation. So live your life, Paul says. Be who you are. Don't compare yourselves with yourselves or with others around you. Just be the Christ follower that you are. Love others as yourselves. Love God first above all things and just be that. And don't worry about your reputation. Over time, people will catch on to who you truly are. That leads to the last point. And we're back to that beautiful passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. Take a look at this. This is a reference to Jesus. I put it in your notes. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. After all, when we're criticized, there are going to be times when we do react poorly. There are going to be times when we react sinfully. Like I said, there are going to be times when we curl up. There are going to be times when we lash out. What do you do then? What do you do when you look back in the mirror of God's law and see, look, I did not get this right. This criticism threw me off. Pride grabbed hold of me and I lashed out and I said some hurtful words. What you do then is exactly what Peter is is telling us. Remember that you have a Jesus who did it perfectly for you. A perfect substitute that when we sin, he gives us his righteousness. When we sin, he takes it upon his shoulders. Notice what it says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. You have this beautiful, wonderful, powerful savior. Who, When you take criticism wrongly, when I take criticism wrongly, we can go to him and say, thank you, Jesus, that you bore my sins in your body on the cross. And now, Lord, as it says here, when I'm criticized, help me die to a sinful reaction to that criticism. Get rid of that. Help me live for the righteousness that you won for me. And help me remember every day that your wounds have, have healed me. Isn't it a beautiful thing that when we fail and when we sin, when we're guilty of reacting poorly to the criticism that gets leveled at us, we have an amazing Savior who did it right 100% of the time. He committed no sin, it says there, doesn't it? He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't lie when he was criticized. He didn't try to cover it up. He didn't try to tell him what good reasons he had for doing it. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. What an amazing response to the criticism that was leveled at the one and only perfect person who ever lived. So we need to know that if even the perfect Jesus could be criticized 
for sure, in our life, we're going to come in for some criticism too. And when we do, our living Savior teaches us to entrust ourselves to himself. He is the one who judges justly. Bottom line, what all this is about is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Same letter, but he's written this earlier. And he's just reminding us when we're criticized, don't take yourself too seriously. You're nothing more than a jar of clay. But you have an amazing God whom you should take very seriously. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts so that to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, he says in verse seven, in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. God is the one who is the power in our lives. So our first point is this. Jesus is alive, and we need to remember that, and he lives for us today. And this allows us to accept criticism humbly and to learn from it. And that's a great way to take criticism, first of all. Use it as a learning tool. Let it humble you. Let it keep you in line. Let, let it give you the realization that Paul had. I'm nothing but a clay jar. The one who really matters is God. To him be the glory. Now from all this so far, you might, uh, you might get the impression, however, that um, if you're a Christ follower, you're going to be eating a lot of criticism and you're going to be just holding in and you're going you're gonna to have to be kind of a wallflower. And that's not the case either, is it? Because if you read this book, 2 Corinthians, from cover to cover, you read from the chapter 1 to the last chapter, you're going to find that Paul actually speaks out quite a bit to the criticism that's being leveled against him. He defends himself on a number of points against the criticism that's, that, uh, that comes at him. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, he says then this. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. He says, I, I know that what I'm doing is the right thing. And I, I'm not afraid to try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. Would you underline that phrase? What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. That little phrase, what we are, is plain to God is an important one here. Because if Paul was following a living Christ, which he was, then the next conclusion for him was this living Christ could see right into his heart and mind and knew exactly every motive for everything he did. He knew what Paul's true purpose was. And if some of these super apostles that we referred to earlier, some of these new leaders that were coming into the Corinthian congregation were trying to persuade the people that Paul wasn't honest, he wasn't a man of integrity, that he didn't have the qualifications to be an apostle, all of those things they were saying about Paul, by the way, then Paul could at least look back and say, what I am 
right down to my heart, right down to the thoughts of my mind. That's plain to God. God knows what's really going on here. It had to be tough for the Apostle Paul. Because the critics that he was facing were saying things like, this guy doesn't deserve to call himself an apostle. He's not qualified to call himself an apostle. They were attacking the very thing that he was called by God to do. They attacked his integrity. You remember from from two weeks ago, where they were criticizing him because he changed his travel plans. And and they were saying, this guy is flighty. His yes means no. His no means yes. In 2 Corinthians, we read that they were also questioning his integrity, saying that when he's here in front of us, He's gentle and kind, but when he, when he goes off to Ephesus and writes letters back to us, he starts haranguing us, and he's harsh and critical. He's, not, he's two-faced. The criticism got so harsh of the Apostle Paul that when he told the Corinthians, look, I want to come with a group of people, and the, the congregation in Jerusalem right now is, is hurting and suffering. And I want to collect an offering from you and the other congregations around you. These super apostle leaders in Corinth said, you you guys better watch out. I'm telling you, this apostle Paul, he's not a man of integrity. You don't know what he's going to be doing with that money that he's collecting. You sure you really want to put money into this guy's hands? Now, how would you feel in the apostle Paul's shoes? Hearing someone say to you, you're not a person of integrity, you're two-faced, your yes means no and your no means yes, hearing that you can't be trusted with money, you got to believe that Paul was hurting just a little bit inside to hear the people that he had first brought the gospel to. They would not have even known the gospel without the Apostle Paul, we're now saying all of these very critical, personal things about him. And his answer is, remember, God always knows what's true. What we are is plain to God. Our living God, he knows the facts. He knows my motives. He knows the purpose behind everything I do. He even knows why I'm reacting to criticism the way I am. And it might seem, as I said just a moment ago, that, that it's all about just letting others run us over by like, like their Mack trucks And we're little orange pylons and are just going to get crushed. But that's not the case with the Apostle Paul. Take a look at what he writes, for example, in chapter 11, right after this text. I'm going to read you a few verses. And you'll see that he does stand up. And he responds to some of these attacks against his character. I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, 
Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think that I am in the least inferior to these super apostles. I may not be a a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. And we have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Notice that he's not afraid to step up when he feels it's necessary and clarify some issues. And you know who he's following when he does that? None other than the living Christ, right? When Jesus was criticized, did he always step back and just take it? Or were there times when he looked at people like the Pharisees or the Sadducees? And he very pointedly and very directly said, no, that's not the way it is. This is the way it is. And he did his level best to set them on the right path. Jesus knew that there are times when when we're criticized, we have to stand up and we have to talk back. Take a look at this passage that I put in uh, your crosswalk notes from Psalm 18. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people. You've made me the head of nations. People I did not know are subject to me. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. That was written by King David. Another great example of someone who at times would back up and surrender and humbly try to find the teaching in the criticism. And at other times felt he needed to step up and he needed to respond to the criticism that was being leveled at him. Now, how do you decide when is when? How do you know when God wants you to just humbly take it and learn from it? And when you need to step up and say something and be bold in answering criticism. Well, it's interesting because all three of these really had the same criteria. For the Apostle Paul, it was not about his reputation. It was when the reputation of God was on the line. For Jesus, it was, again, not about him. It was when the Father's reputation was on the line. And the same for David. And so every time when they really felt that God's name and God's honor and God's glory was on the line, then they felt compelled to step up and say, look, something has got to be said about this. Look at how David concludes this. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. You see, that shows what his real motive was. He wanted God's name to always be lifted high. And that's our second point here. Always remember, God ultimately deserves the praise for anything that we are. We're just clay jars. And it's appropriate for people to point out that we're nothing more than cracked, broken clay jars. That's okay. But when people begin to impugn or lessen or de-glorify God and his name and destroy his reputation, then it's time for us as Christ followers to remember God deserves the praise, all the praise at all times, and to be willing to stand up for them. One last thing. 
And that is simply what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.1. He says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. When the criticism was getting to Paul, when he felt like the responses, the honest responses that he was giving weren't hitting home, as I'm sure he sometimes felt with this Corinthian congregation, who continued, even though he made several trips and sent several letters to, to criticize his ministry and to criticize his God, where did he ultimately rest his hope? It says it right there in that passage. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. One of the things that you'll notice about all the great people of God is that they recognize that whatever they have is from God, and it's okay with them if he, if he leaves that something with them, whether it's wealth or authority, or in Paul's case in this verse, his ministry itself. It's like, this is God's ministry, and I only have it by the grace of God. And these guys all held on to whatever they possessed, their ministry, their money, whatever it was, they held on to it very loosely. What I mean by that is, they always felt like if, if God wants it back, he should have it back because he's the one who gave it to me in the first place. You know, David, for example, just picked up and left Jerusalem, left his throne when his son rebelled against him and said, okay, God must want you to have it. There it is. And if God wants to bring me back to this throne, well, I'm just going to hold on to it loosely. God will bring me back if he wants me back. And what David did is exactly what Paul is saying here. God, by his mercy, gave me this. If he wants me to keep on going, he'll keep me on going. And if he wants to take this ministry or, or this kingdom or, in, in the case of, of many of you, a job or a bank account or a roof over your head or whatever it might be that you're holding tightly onto, let me encourage you to, to let it go. Hold on to it loosely and say with David and say with Paul, it's by the grace of God I have this. And so if he wants me to have it, he's going to keep on letting me have it. And if he wants to take it back, who am I to fight him? What a beautiful thought. It's by God's mercy. Always remember, God's mercy is the thing that will help us stay the course. And here's our second point this morning. Jesus is alive. And that allows us to answer criticism boldly. When we're holding our ministry or our job or our home or our bank account or whatever we have loosely, and we're saying, God, it's, it's ours only by your mercy, then we can step up and say, hey, I can answer honestly. Because I don't have to hold on to this thing. It's God's. And I can tell people what I honestly think in all truth and honesty. Because, hey, I'm not trying to create some sort of outcome. Take a look at uh, that second point. Jesus is alive. This allows us to answer criticism boldly. So here's your next steps in the crosswalk for today. 
Ask yourself, what great lessons have I learned from my toughest critics? Do I need greater humility or boldness as I hear criticism? I think some of us need greater humility. We need to listen more, right? We need to learn more from the criticism. Others of us, maybe we we do a little bit too much of that, that mild thing. And we need to learn, hey, I only have this by God's mercy. I'm going to stand up and speak and be more bold when we're criticized. Secondly, choose a growth group and get signed up today. And here's why. And here's how it applies to this. We're all in for criticism every day. And you need a place where you can find wisdom and love and acceptance to test yourself against that criticism. A growth group is a great place to come and share with people that you trust and know and say, here's something that I was told about myself today. What do you guys think? How do I respond to that? And you get a group of people that can really give you wisdom and advice when you're criticized so that you don't react in a way that's not God-pleasing. Finally, would you meditate on and memorize 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Let me read these for you again. But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to be our perfect substitute. When he was criticized, he did not lash out and respond in a a sinful way, but he was perfectly righteous. Lord, we ask you to give us Jesus' righteousness today. All the times when we have not taken criticism humbly and learned from it. All the times when we have not stood up boldly when we should have to answer criticism. We simply just ask that you would forgive us for that and give us Jesus' perfection. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we we ask you to keep on teaching us. Criticism can be very emotional and very difficult to deal with. But in your power, resting in your mercy, we know that we can grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.